Welcome to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. This is a show about how to build an esports business from literally anywhere in the world, where each week we showcase the journey of one inspiring esports entrepreneur and learn how they solved a particular problem that everyone will ultimately face. And now, to your host, Tom Leonard. Hey there, I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I am not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal of the podcast is to talk to esports entrepreneurs from all over the world to hear how they have created jobs and to maybe inspire others to do the same. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Today, I'm honored to have Demetrius Farmacus. He's the head of esports at Yieldy and Yes Sports. And we'll be talking about that and a whole lot more. Welcome, Demetrius. Um. Hi, Tom. It's, uh, it's an honor to be in your podcast. I'm very happy and excited to be here. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for the kind words there. <laughs> hey, uh, how did you get started in esports? We always like hearing people's stories for, about how they started at the very beginning. Yeah, so there, there won't be a problem if I take it the beginning, beginning, right? Uh, even better, uh, even better. <laughs> the, the ancient years. I mean, uh, now 37, so uh, like 14 years ago, uh, I have um, I had already been a gamer, a lifetime gamer, you know, consoles and my first computer and whatnot. And uh, it all came back to me when uh, Street Fighter 4 first came out in 2009. Uh, I seem to remember, you know, vaguely now those days in the past where I would uh, tune into Justin TV. I would see all of those, I would watch all of those tournaments. I was very, very keen and very hyped about fighting games. I'm still, I still am, I still follow them. Uh, and um, you know, sometime later, uh, StarCraft Two came out, and I saw that uh, you know esports got a very big boom there. It brought uh, all the players uh, of the of the past into the present and then the future. MLG tournaments everywhere. And then I figured, you know, why not do it myself? So. I was living in in Patras, the first, the third, fourth bigger city in Greece, and um, it's full of it's full of students and young people. So I started organizing, you know, fighting game tournaments with limited success because uh, fighting games are not very widely spread uh, across Greece. They have a, they have very strong and passionate communities that follow the tournaments as much as possible, but. Um, they are not that big to fill other, you know, commercial KPIs. So they have mostly have fallen under the radar, with the exception of one or two events per year. Um, so I started off doing my own thing. Then I started doing uh, tournaments about a quite obscure game back in the day called uh, League of Legends. And then, you know, after that, uh, we're talking about very grassroots things like uh, an internet cafe, a place. For those that don't know, a place that is full of computers where people went to play games or, you know, to do other other things that had to do more, um, you know, with more office work or things like that. So we closed these venues and then organized the tournaments. And we, you know, we had a lot of challenges. And the main one was to make everyone understand that, you know, while we are or the players are playing video games, uh, outside of Greece, outside of um, out there, like uh, across all countries and regions, uh, there have there had been examples of players that were actively making money out of this, and this, it was becoming like a new trend. Um, some people chose to believe in that, um, and we we had a couple of uh, big hit tournaments, at least for the region. And then I came back to Athens and decided to connect with the scene I mean, with the scene here. Um, I'm not. I'm not really gonna lie. The the scene was at a very nascent stage. It was early, very early beginnings. Uh, quite a few bad eggs that have been thankfully washed out. You know, washed away uh, at the passage of time. Um, there was a lot of. Uh, again, there was a lot of convincing of the. You know, you went to the sponsors that were dealing with computer peripherals, and you were trying to tell them that you were making something happen, kind of like. You know, in Europe or uh, in, in 
in in the US. So there was a, the, the the biggest challenge of uh, challenge of all would be to teach to have to to be in a position to teach others about what esports was and how they could benefit from it. Um, then I decided that you know uh, at the time I wouldn't be making a career out of esports in Greece, so why not look to do something else abroad? I so I I leveraged LinkedIn. I started following people, asking them all sorts of questions, asking for like my famous five to ten minutes of their time for a quick discussion, so that they can ask the things that I wanted to ask. Uh, through that process, I met some people that were quite keen have uh, discussions, and then you know I connected with other people, and through that process, I ended up, uh, you know, I ended up working for for FPV, and then I started working at Yieldly and, and eSports, where we, they are blockchain-based companies, and eSports is also connected to eSports in a, in a very big way. There's all kinds of things to talk about there uh, yeah. that, we'll, that, <clears throat> that we'll get back to. No, that was, that was a great introduction. So where are you talking, where are you speaking to us from today? I am, a, I am in Piraeus, Greece. Piraeus is the biggest port in, uh, in Greece right now. And although it's very close to the sea, it's not pretty great. I mean, we have been having heat waves for the for the past week oh, and a half, right. and you know, right. it's uh, it's been uh, it's been very hot. The um, could you describe? It, it's interesting when you're talking about Athens versus outside of Athens. In yeah. in Greece, is it is it really different? I know in a lot of places. I remember being in Bangkok in Thailand, and it's like it's like Bangkok and the rest of the country. Is is sort of the way things are are set up. Is that is it kind of the way it is on the esports world in Greece, or do the other areas have a pretty developed? I mean, there are, you know, uh, as a country, we have two of the biggest cities right now: Athens and Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki is on the northern part of Greece. Uh, the point is that these these cities, uh, Patras and Larissa, are coming coming right after. Those four cities are the biggest ones. And of course, they have the the biggest population when it comes to youngsters. So there is a lot of possibility there to be people that are interested in esports. And I am saying this that way because while we have a very big and healthy gaming population, not everyone is interested in esports per se. Like they, um, we we probably have like three to four million youngsters right now, young people, young ages, and uh, uh, we. The esports tournaments or events that are even on a panhellenic level or a Greek wide with Greek wide level are not uh, are not on par. So you could say that uh, we are still in the process. While the while the market as is, it has matured, and there are some teams that are really breaking the mold, uh, especially when it has, when it has uh, with uh, past the, the way that things were run past uh, that are. We are still in the process of trying to convert more and more fans to the esports phenomenon. And the other interesting thing for me is that uh, we have all sorts of smaller communities that are like under the radar. Like recently, I connected with with a very big Rocket League community that I didn't even know I existed in Greece, and they were doing, you know, awesome an awesome job, you know, getting everyone together and forming, uh, you know, their own leagues and playing and. And and that's the problem with those communities, the fact that then they ask themselves, how can I take it to the next level? And then they get to all sorts of problems, both on a, on a fiscal sense and on a business sense. But yeah, I would say that the bigger cities in Greece are the ones that gather most of the most of the interest of any esports. Yes, yes. Now, talking about, you mentioned Yes Sports. As some as an organization that you're working with right now, can you describe a little bit more about what Ye- uh, YesSports does? Uh, so, on a very surface level, in order to not get very technical, we are enabling fans and teams come together in multiple ways uh, using Web3 technologies like uh, uh, NFTs, play-to-earn games, and the metaverse. We are aiming to create a solution. I think that you probably have seen some teams venturing out and doing some sort of things with blockchain like Fnatic or Vitality. Um, and uh, we are trying to create, to democratize that sort of technology and make it available for any team that wants to use it moving forward. 
Uh, right now we have seven, seven teams. Uh, most of them are on a global level. We have also a couple of more regional teams. One of them is a Greek one, actually, WL Gaming Esports. We have also uh, three content creators, and we are garnering interest from sports teams as well. One of the things I find always interesting in talking to people that are doing things like this, as far as recruiting teams to become part of their structure uh, in some in some fashion, how do you go? How do you recruit? those teams to come in and work at Yes Sports? I mean, get very deep on how we, we deal with Sure. Teams. No, I don't want, I don't want any super, super secrets that you, I'm not supposed to know. But just in general, because one of the things that people are always going to be doing in any sports organization, you're talking about it, looking for funds, people are always going to be like re- trying to recruit sponsors, trying to recruit investors. Yeah. And so it's always interesting to hear how people have been successful at doing some recruiting. Yeah, so most part, and I was I was working uh, at some teams and I was trying to to get sponsors as well. Uh, the process has not changed that much. Like we used to create a presentation and we tried to use that as a stepping stone in order to engage into a conversation from which, uh, you know, the the potential sponsor would try and get a sense of how big esports is and how they could fit together nicely with what, uh, how esports could fit together nicely with what they were doing. And uh, so take that process and reverse engineer it because I had and I have esports experience. I know um, I, I know that the teams would be uh, looking out for sponsors that they, they have lumps of uh, you know, money to spare and get to in order to, to bring them in. But also we differentiate ourselves in the in the fact that we are also having tangible value to provide to the teams and we are offering access to technology that would be otherwise very difficult to have because you know, uh, Fanatic, Vitality, uh, Misfits, the other teams, they are all working with the bigger exchanges, the bigger blockchains, and those are quickly running out, you know. So the smaller teams that don't have the appeal and don't, whoever is listening to that, please stay, don't take it uh, the wrong way. But uh, they don't have the widespread appeal that Fanatic does. So uh, we are targeting those teams and we are working with those teams, uh, giving them th- that value and that access to the tech in order for them to be able to uh, leverage it for their own ends, either to create new revenue streams or to create more tangible and meaningful uh, membership models and whatnot. So many times we've been t- in, in talking to people here, we we constantly hear the story of um, people saw a need, saw saw a hole out there, and they said, "Let's fill it." And that's why you're talking about you, you know you you saw that the, that tier of potential sponsors, and yeah. and and you're you're going after them, which is um, which is good. You also, I think, I saw that you were recruiting streamers. Um, you had some yeah, Twitch we streamers. Working, we are working currently with three content creators as well because the technology as it exists right now can also be leveraged on a community level basis. So uh, a streamer can create his own either membership programs or other, uh, or can take other uses out of our products uh, and create, uh, let's say, uh, unique experiences out of them uh, in, in cooperation I mean, working together with their fans in, in any sort of way. So we feel like also uh, that side of the of the esports sphere, you know, the streamer slash content creator type, that can also be a good fit for our product. And so we went there. Now, it's one of the things it's interesting is always, it, I think one of your streamers is from France, one is from Denmark, and one is from uh, Argentina. And it's like, you know, you pretty soon it's you, pe- your people are coming from um, all different languages, all different cultures and everything. And do you, do you find language to be a challenge in the esports organizations that you're working with? Um, I wouldn't say that because, you know, for the most part, one is, is able to communicate some level of English. Of course, not being a native English speaker myself, I can totally understand. And uh, you can 
you can be very um, if if you understand it from that side, you can be very patient and you can you know you can explain things a second, third time as much as, as it's needed. But uh, most of the teams and most of the of the people that are higher up that I have talked to, they have all displayed a very good grasp of English, and uh, we haven't had any troubles any trouble communicating. Yeah. Yeah, English is, is is one of the common denominators. When we talk to a lot of people, they're like, we use subtitles for some of their content creators because there's just, you know, some of the languages are just, just not that common out there. So, so with Yes Sports, did you did you start with a with a group of people there that put it together? The other the other theme that we keep hearing over and over is that people got together with a team and created this 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 business. Is that what happened at Yes Sports? Yeah, uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, I had the you know, these first experience, but also the the person that I'm working with and our CEO uh, Sebastian had also quite significant esports experience himself, and he was because of his background in blockchain, he was quickly um, he was quick to identify that uh, you know there is there is this gap in the market, and there is and there is this need that it's not quite a need right now, but it will develop to become one. Uh, soon enough, you know the the access to web to Web three platforms and tools for uh, furthering uh, fun engagement. Uh, so yeah, the team got together and they were, and we were able to to start doing something and then onboard some of the teams that we had been having discussions with. And so far, it has been you know a bumpy ride because on the blockchain uh, on the blockchain side of things, the market is not pretty great right now. But um, you know those are challenges that um, you can just be, um, you can just display temperance and just make it through them, and by just having uh, the end goal in mind. It's sometimes hard to have that, um, have patience, and re- and realize that it's like long term. That's one of the things that's always worked really, really well here. Is just in the stock market. It's just like, don't sweat what's happening today. I mean, just get in there. You find the right right investments, and then hold them for decades, and you're probably going to come out okay, and with a you know a lot less trauma. It's it's when you're trying to go in there and look at your little Coinbase account and like ooh, um, it's like you uh, don't want to necessarily do that. Now you also work with Yieldly, is that right? Yeah, Yieldly is another project. Uh, just just basically, what 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 do they, what do, they do? Oh, this is a decentralized finance uh, platform made on the Algorand ecosystem. Uh, basically, the same company works across both both, uh, both projects right now. Uh, decentralized finance is a part of uh, the blockchain market where, um, well, the, the way that I describe it essentially to the people that are not too much into the market is the fact that we are uh, providing services uh, financial nature, without the need of a bank. This is more. This is more automated, an automated process and a, a series of automated tools that uh, uh, they can they can benefit either the long or the shorter term. Uh, it, it depends on what they, each individual have in mind. One of the things, yeah, I, d- I didn't want to go, go into a whole lot of detail there because I mean that, that subject needs a whole lot of explanation uh, to, 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 to get, to get it across. I just want to give it feel for it because the other thing is that we, you know, we're talking more about jobs here than we are about um, um, the, the blockchain (coughs) oops side of things, because there's there's people, there's plenty of people out there much smarter than I am that can, can, can fill in, uh, fill in the blanks there. I did want to talk a little bit though about investment because I saw that you were doing, some analytical, some analysis work for investments in esports. And again, I don't want to get into any details on any particular deals because that's not, that's not, that's not really, um, really appropriate here. But just one of the things that we, I hear a lot of people, uh, from a lot of guests here, but just a lot of people on the side is on the, uh, esports side of things, they're always looking for investment. So what, what have you seen are the sources of investment for an esports organization? Maybe you're a team, maybe you're a, um, a, a tournament organizer, maybe you're, you're something else. But what are the sources of investment that you've seen work out in esports? I mean, 
most of the teams that have received investments until now. Actually, let me let me rephrase that. In generally, in the I think that in the esports community, you have kinds of people when you're talking about esports investment. The ones that are hopeful that all of this investment that's happening right now will turn out to be great in the future. And there have been examples uh, of uh, of teams that are, have acquired that investment and they have expanded their efforts and you know they have expanded to other regions and they are trying to establish a foothold there. And there is a part of the population, the e-sports population, that says that uh, most of the investments that are happening right now won't see any substantial return or uh, they won't see, uh, you know, the investors won't see their money back. And I think that there are quite a few examples to support, uh, you know, both uh, points of view. However, I think that I am one of the more um, hopeful ones. Uh, Esports kind of needs to grow a bit more. And uh, we have seen investments of all sorts happening, like uh, equity investments, or uh, we, we have also seen RTOs happening. And uh, for the most part, it depends of how it depends on how each individual team wants to go about it. Uh, there are, for the most part, things that I have been seeing, like uh, under the the level of the tier one teams, the top level teams, is the fact that most of the people that want the investment don't actually or don't necessarily have the knowledge uh, around it or about it. It's needed, you know. Uh, the the fiscal knowledge that you know uh, can can make the difference for you to choose whether you want to go with an equity investment or an RTO or so on and so forth. Could you explain what an RTO is? Uh, briefly. So, yeah, briefly. I know what equity is. Yeah, uh, briefly, it's uh, when I think because I have I do not have a fiscal background as well, but I think that it's when. Uh, you have a listed company, it's already listed, and then some company that wants to get listed takes that company over and puts it uh, as an asset, and then they gain the listing. Um, I, this is this is very much in very layman's terms. I can't yes. say it enough. So uh, I think no, that's what I thought. That's what I thought it was. But because because a listing, uh, you know. Uh, your uh, your equity or most of your equity becomes shares that can be traded in the stock market, and so you can uh, source some investment from that as well. Uh, and we have we have seen those those types of things happen. But I think again to, to go back to my original point that uh, it's it's better to educate yourself or get your or get a financial advisor for your each individual team or tournament organizing uh, you know company or esports platform. And then explore together the best options for your for your uh, company, rather than you know listen to me on the internet with, that has a limited fiscal background to explain to you what the best option might be. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. We do not give financial <laughs> advice yeah, here. And this, I mean, is, and this is why I I didn't say anything. You know, when you're talking about blockchain, because I. I usually avoid commenting about uh, right and wrong strategies and what, yeah. because I don't want to give any, you know, any any tips. No, no. I learned a long time ago that it's easier not to not to sound like you like an expert when you're not. It's just like it 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 opens up for myself. It opens up too many doors. When you when you've been talking to investors and and do you think that investors out there understand esports do you think there's a there's an opportunity for esports to do a better job of explaining what it is that they do and 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 why they could be an investment on a broader scale i think that at the very at the end of the day uh the investor or the fund that comes to your way and is asking or you have approached and you're asking for investment is that they want to see an actionable plan of how you're going to be making money after they have invested in you and you know you can you can just again this is something that needs to that needs a serious and considered study of your current assets and how an influx of money would add on to those assets or will allow you to um, you know to make some more movements into the future like expanding into a new region or adding more teams and players uh, most of the times 
investors what they want to see across them. And I think that it's it's true for most startups that they see every day, you know, whose decks they come across every day, is the fact that they want to see person in front of them having a plan and that plan promising them to make the money back. However, I have come across quite a few investors that were not very adamant about getting their money in like a year or two. They they liked to go for the three-year, the five-year plan, even longer than that. So I think that everything begins with explaining what esports is and how esports can grow in the future, uh, both on a regional scale or a national scale, but also on a global scale, because it's a, it's a trend that's worldwide right now. And once that's done, you need to present a good plan. And I think that most of the investors, if you pass those two requirements, they will be at least eager to have a chat and listen what you have to say. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for uh, um, a lot of money to come into esports if 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 people knew more about esports. Yeah, I think that, one of the things that, that starts that starts from the exactly that starts from the grassroots levels and up. Uh, the people that are chasing the money need to be able to talk the language of the people that they want to get yes. the money from. You know? And in the, I think that even accidentally, once you start thinking like that, even accidentally, you might come across a couple of things that might you that you might have not considered earlier, earlier, earlier that might make your uh, company more viable even as is without the investment. Or you might ex- you might find out new ways to expand without needing that initial capital after all. I mean, I know a couple of teams that did that, and they are doing pretty great, but they are hitting that plateau of of needing the investment to go that that one step further. But uh, it was it was exactly like that. One of them, especially, which is a good friend of mine, he always said how he wanted to uh, get more money as investments. But uh, when I told him the same thing, and he started looking. Uh, looking at it from another angle, he discovered that he didn't essentially need the investment at the time. He just needed to, you know, go about making money from another angle. So he started, in his case, thinking very much out of the box when it came to partner to partnerships and sponsorships. So he has he has done quite a few sponsorships that no one else in the region had considered, and it's been pretty great to see him do that. And Are the sponsorships? Uh, I'm not looking for inside details here. Are the sponsorships with endemic or non-endemic companies mostly? Ah, non-endemics, non-endemics, right. and and to be honest, a couple of those I I don't think I have heard uh, other teams out there doing the same thing with such such companies, which is uh, you know which speaks to the to the fact that any company. Or at least most of the companies out there, most of the most uh, of the companies that create products for a consumer base, can uh, leverage esports. They might not want to do that through a sponsorship, but there are also other ways, like uh, implementing you know gaming into their marketing efforts and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, that team is one of the prime examples that I use, so that it's, you can open your doors by yourself, which is part of the fun. It's like. I mean, when it comes down back down to it, we're playing games. So why not create yeah. fun kinds of activations <coughs> and other other types of things? And thinking outside the box—that's that's what's part of the fun as well. I mean, what's wor- what could be worse than being in an industry where it's always been done this way and will always be done this way? And it's just like, and yeah. so there's no no room for creativity. I mean, we don't have that problem. I mean, I think that for me, this is. Uh... This is what I like to see when I'm browsing the news every day. Seeing partnerships and sponsorships that are previously unthought of or unheard of. Not because of their difficulty or whatnot, but because no one had thought that they could, as an esports company, team, tournament organizer, get through to such a sponsor in that category, that vertical, and and engage them in such a level that they want to actively be into esports. And I think that... uh, these, these are all, can, you know, for a team that's looking to sponsor, uh, to get sponsorships or get uh, or get other partners, I think one invaluable thing that they can do is just browse the internet for announcements for sponsorships. And if they find a vertical that they are chasing after, they can add that 
to their presentation and say, you know, uh, in that region, that team partnered yes. with that company. So let's consider that if they found value, you can find value in us in some way or the other. You know, and I, I think that you know, by having those those teams that are doing those partnerships, everyone will benefit after, you know, will, will, will benefit um, around the globe. I like hearing you talk about just pay attention. Just pay attention to what's going on out there. It's like, I always tell people, follow the money. It's like, it's so much easier to try to get someone who's already spending marketing dollars to switch them to esports than to try to uh, try to get someone who has never spent any marketing dollars on, on this demographic to start doing that. So find someone that, that you can um, you, you can get part of what, what it is that, that they're spending. The other thing I found here is that, you know, esports is something that people want to be involved with. It's a, it's a positive thing. I mean, no one has, you know, no one has a particularly negative impact uh, idea of gaming. People want to, to be involved with it, but a lot, so many people, so many potential sponsors just don't know how to get involved. Well, <laughs> Regarding that positive impact and uh, the positive opinion, Greece is not one of those places. Uh, like, they, you know, uh, a large part of the population still feels that gaming is a waste of time and competitive gaming even more so. Because uh, it, it wasn't, I think, like, it was up until three years ago that a player couldn't make a salary out of esports. And now some players can make a salary and even more, and even a good amount of money each month. However, those uh, that is for the for the games that have the most following right now, like League of Legends. The other communities and the other players are not meeting such uh, such heights. Maybe I, the the word escapes me. You know, the non-native speaker problems. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, your community yeah, is on, fine. Don't worry. <laughs> but on a on a more national level, there are a lot of people that still think that uh, gaming is a waste of time, and there there isn't a gamer in Greece that at some point hasn't fought with his parents about gaming in some way. So it's uh, it's maybe it's kind of like a, a rite of passage. I don't know. Yes, yes, I think that's a that's a fairly universal concept. There. Yeah. Well, so I want to talk about uh, so many other things, but I want to talk about uh, mobile. Is mobile esports is that the future of esports? Do you think in uh, in Greece and in your area? Mobile esports. Um, so I think that we are we are having the same issue, maybe. Uh, like uh, mobile esports is a very big thing in Asia and Southeast Asia, and that is because uh, you know fiscally most of the people there prefer to use the mobile phone for for all sorts of things. And that's why that was the basis for mobile uh, gaming having that boom it had. Whereas us in the Eastern world, and uh, you know, especially in Greece, we have we were more console slash PC type of nation. I am un, I am unsure if there isn't any if there is even a substantial penetration of mobile gaming. I would say that mobile gaming as a whole is there. Because I also play a mobile game, which I use whenever I'm waiting for something or whenever I I just yep. want to do it. But I wouldn't say that mobile esports is in here. I would say that there are quite a few casual players, um, casual mobile gamers here. But for the most part, I think that the PC and console crowd is way way bigger than that. Do people there play on? What's the preferred platform? Do people play on Twitch? Do they stream on Facebook gaming? Do they stream on YouTube? Is there one bigger than the others? So uh, six years ago, six years ago, I was working for a startup that was uh, all about uh, live streaming. And uh, back then, I was the Greek community manager. I ended up working and helping out with various other regions as well. But uh, most of most of the Greek streamers and content creators, they were uh, they were very hard. And on uh, on tweets, they were not letting that go. And uh, there, I don't think that that changed up until a platform called Trovo came along. 
And uh, there has been a lot of migration to Trovo right now, and some of the biggest names in uh, uh, Greece are right now over there, and they are streaming. I would say that there is, after that, there is a split. There are those that believe that uh, Twitch can yield better results for them, whereas there are some others that go to Trovo just because the bigger Greek streamers are there, so they hope that by connecting with them they can enlarge their following and community so i would say that there is a split between the two i think there was one point where we had some facebook gaming streamers but that didn't last long then it's like uh, it was tweets and then some people went to facebook gaming but then trova came and got most of the bigger streamers there yeah it's interesting because yeah we hear different stories from different parts of the world and it, yeah, it has to do with with the marketing strategies of the streaming platforms for the most part because there are you know the big ones they target the the bigger um, the bigger countries and the bigger crowds and communities whereas the platform wants to have users uh, and they want to find them quickly they would target areas of the world that don't have a lot of um, how should I say this subtly they don't we offer more uh, incentives to join the platform. Yeah, it took me a bit of time, but I was trying to find the word incentives. So there are they, they, the, the platforms that are up and coming and they want to get a massive following very fast. They are more thoughtful about how to incentivize areas like Greece or other uh, smaller regions around the world in order to attract users. We, we saw in India... I think there's a, a platform called Loco and, yeah. and, and others that are, are very popular because of the, just, and, and you're talking there about uh, Trovo. It's like, um, you know, for, to have a local audience. I mean, that's what people are, are going to go and, and be interested in watching. So it's like, it, it makes sense there. It's going to ask you for a minute here about the government, government support in Greece, and we don't talk politics here, but one of the things that happens is that we find that in in the US, I mean, the government plays almost no role in when it comes to esports, but in other countries on a national, on a local, on a uh, regional level, the government sponsorship, government help makes a big difference. What about in Greece? Does the government play a role? Should they play a role? So, esports around Greece have been here for 10 years now, 11. Oh, maybe maybe a lot more than that. But on such an organized level, it has only come to exist in like seven to six years. Uh, the government has done close to nothing to help all those people. And they have passed, they, they have passed a law that uh, recognizes some games, the non-violent ones, as esports, as esports titles, and and then they have a plan on how to support those. But the popular ones, that actually draw the crowds, they go uh, unnoticed. I think that there are plans to expand that law to cover the other games as well. But there are, as always, optics to consider because you know violence in video games and the other things that they have been. Uh, very, the, the you know, the non-gaming population has been very vocal about around the world all the time. Uh, the the problem that most of the most of the tournament organizers and the companies face here is the fact that the taxes are very high. So when you are trying to just now start up, there are some incentives to start up a new to start a new company up. However. If you combine that with the fact that you have to go out and educate a lot of people in order to sponsor, to have them sponsor you in order for you to make some money, and then have the uh, have the Greek government or any government take a considerable amount out of that tax, there is no, you know, there is no viability in that model. So I think that probably the government should involve itself more. But it needs to be done in a way that addresses the problems that matter. Because we can all think that around the world there have been politicians that have been very vocal, very vocal in support of esports. 
but I don't think that they are very much in touch with what is the essence of the problem and what is needed for esports to grow. At least in my country, that's the case. Have you seen any any support, any any programs from the government to create jobs in esports? Uh, in Greece? Yeah. No, but I would love to. I I, I would very much love to. Uh, the, the the thing is that again, as I told you on the top of the of the podcast, is that we are not the Greek esports scene is not only there to you know to cater to the already existing fan base, but they are also in the process of trying to attract new fans all the time. And I would assume that unless that following becomes significantly bigger, they you know. They won't. It won't be much to to move any official heads to look at the that situ- the esports, the Greek esports situation, any way other than creating a few a few laws, maybe. So, yeah. On the one hand, uh, the Greek esports team is seen is very advanced in some games and games and in some communities, but as a whole, I think there is much more work to be done. To, to bring in more funds, to systemize the smaller communities into creating products that matter and they are of some standards in order to draw in more sponsors. And then once that those two things come together, then it will be, I think, a force to be reckoned with. And then the Greek government will have to, to set up some rules and maybe hopefully some support for those you know, for those teams and tournament organizers and whoever is into esports. One question that we always ask here is, and you are uniquely positioned to answer it: Should uh, should the Olympics include esports? Uh, how how political do you need me to be? <laughs> oh, oh, you can say anything you want. It doesn't doesn't bother me. But I I, I always no no. Let's say that I don't think that, uh, you know, I think that esports doesn't need the Olympics as much as the Olympics needs esports. Esports is its own thing and it has been its own thing. The only way that, and the only reason that we are trying to attract, all the time we're trying to attract those, you know, big official organizations is is that, you know, it all. I think that it all started like, a long time ago when we needed to legitimize esports we needed to have it and this is why we named it esports in order to make sense to people that didn't know anything about esports i i personally prefer the term competitive gaming i think that we are past the stage where we need to impress anyone to seek their uh approval esports is its own thing and has been its own thing and it will keep on being its own thing that it can be just fine on its own where it is. However, in the unique position of each esport being uh, owned by one company, there will be, I foresee that there will be the need of one central organization that at least protects the interests of the teams, the players, and all of the people in the market that are outside of the publishers, you know, the publishers' interests and whatnot. But uh, yeah, because I again uh, digressed. I don't think that esports needs uh, the Olympics as much as the other way. We've heard about a 50-50 split on that, but I think it's it's almost universal that um, the people feel that the Olympics could get a lot out of being involved with esports for bringing an audience to them. The question is if that's an audience that will resonate with the Olympics or not. I mean, if you're a League of Legends fan, does that mean you're going to be a track and field viewer uh I, I can see, you know, maybe on the on the, the 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 football soccer side of things. Yeah, there's some connect. There's some some yeah. connections there. NBA, um, there's some connections there, and so on. But if you're, you know, if you if you like watching cycling on um, on uh, you know as esports, is that something that's going? Are you gonna are you gonna want to watch cycling on the Olympics? Maybe, maybe not. So, I mean, no. My, from my own experience and my own example, um, I'm following Formula One for quite a few years now. And when the pandemic hit, couldn't race, you know, physically, and they did the virtual races, I was equally happy to watch that. So 
at least when it happens when it has to do with your own sport, something that you follow. Uh, yeah, probably if you are a fan of virtual cycling, you would also watch the. You are already watching, uh, you know, cycling in the Olympics. But I don't know if that would, uh, if that fan, uh, go out of his way to watch, uh, let's say, judo or taekwondo or uh, you know, track and field. I think that this is a pre-existing case of the Olympics. You know, every every sport having its own fans, and then it's on the Olympics side, the Olympic Committee side, to incite interest and spark the interest for people to watch other sports as well. So it's kind of the same thing. I don't think that anything will change in that regard when it comes to their challenge. I think one of the things that esports can learn from the Olympics is how to fund them. I mean, I, I'm always just so uh, you know amazed how media rights are what funds the Olympics, funds so much of uh, sport here in the U.S. And it's like, okay, how can esports, you know, tap? I don't have the answers to it, but it's like, wow, here's a, here's a huge revenue. So here in the in California is big news because uh, the local football teams, uh, USC, UCLA, move to another conference because they will get a hundred million dollars a year more in media revenue. Yeah. So it's like it was a it was a no brainer to do that. I mean, it didn't do you know kind of hurt the conference that they were from, but it's like it's it's all all a money game, and it, it's like how can we, you know, bring that over to esports? I think that it has to do with more support on a grassroots level. I I don't foresee that you know we will be talking of those magnitudes in like the next ten years, and I very much hope I am wrong. However, I, in order to reach that, we should stop thinking so much on a global level, on a global scale, and then try to reach resources and try to help out you know, the more grassroots and regional uh, initiatives. That, in essence, um, you know, at the very base level, each one of those people that are in the grassroots scene is also a fan of the bigger picture, you know, the, the grander... Um, Spectacle is the word. Uh, so, more opportunity and more resources to people to form, you know, their own local teams and leagues and championships. I think that's the thing that will ultimately bring us to a point where we would be talking about, you know, the team that I follow in Athens having to move to another city because they would get more in media rights. Uh, yeah, Greece is a is a bad example of that because it's a very small, you know country geographically but uh, I can certainly see what you're saying uh, and I think that the answer to all of that is we need to we need to give more attention to anything that happens at the grassroots level and at an amateur and at an amateur level because we also have to consider about how we will get new players you know for for each individual esport and the grassroots level the amateur level are there to foster that you know through competitions to foster that player to to target and reach a professional level. I think that's a good point that I, I don't see as much of a push to increase the um, player base. I mean, anything concerted in anything organized out there. I think a lot of times the esports world kind of leaves it to just the nature of the industry to do it, but instead of being out there and being more, more um, uh, focused on increasing uh, the size of the audience. But <coughs> we, the one thing I did want to, I want to circle back to, because one of the things you mentioned that I think it was really, really interesting was when you're talking about using LinkedIn for networking. I mean, um, here we're talking about jobs. I mean, you know, all kinds of different jobs that we've touched on, on some here. But I think one of the most important ways to get a, your own job is networking. And I'd just like to hear just a, a little bit more about exactly what your approach on LinkedIn was for and how you were successful there and how you measured success. You know, looking back, I'm almost certain to say that there was a plan, but I had no idea what that plan was. You know, I... I for the most part, up until now in my in my career, I had been saying to myself, like, I want to do this thing. 
And then I just went ahead and tried to find ways to make it happen. So uh, when I started wanting to, um, I thought that I could further my career. Like my my biggest aspiration would be to go out there, work with as many people as possible, gather as much experience as possible, and then bring it over back to Greece and try and make something out of whatever happens here in esports. And decided to do that. To be honest, opened up uh, my LinkedIn profile. I started typing, you know, names of teams. I started connecting with people from the positions that I was interested in. Uh, in hitting, like, uh, I think that for the most part, I've been going after uh, business development and uh, sponsorship roles because, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that are that ha- that are having fun in the in trying to educate someone else about esports and trying to think about uh, to think out of the box to find uh, sponsors. So I, I was I was connecting with people like that, and I always said you know something like thanks for connecting with me. I want to get a job like you do. Can you give me? Can we have a call like five ten minutes to ask you a couple of questions? And I think that, and I hope that no one from LinkedIn is listening, but at, I think that at a span of seven months, I, I had added like 5,000 people. I what? think that. Really? I, I, wow, I, you're my hero. Uh, That's great. I, like, pulled out all the stops, <laughs> to be honest. And, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, I found myself, you know, going out of, out of hand at some point like i was adding people from all of the companies that were into esports in the positions that i wanted to work not only teams but then went to the sponsor companies and then went to the tournament organizers and then i was i was so fronting to try and connect with people and have someone answer me those questions like i'm i'm at greece i want to get a job in esports and i want to do something in esports and i want to keep doing that what do i need to do like I'm, I like this, this, and that. How can I make that happen? And I think that I got like ten to twenty people, like to to, to just reply to me, and then um, some of them ghosted me. So from a sales perspective, I was not very successful. <laughs> you know, hey, it's like it's like getting people on your podcast. Trust me. <laughs> However, uh, the the person that. Uh, the person that I ended up working actually added me on LinkedIn and we started talking and then I understood what he wanted to go about. And um, Incidentally, I had already, you know, I when I was at that point, I had created some sort of a network with people that I have, that had at least replied and I was able to ask, ask questions and, and, you know, I was, I was able to, to reach to them for anything that I needed. So I was quite fortunate on the fact that I was able to show results to my first job. And then, you know, I, I just stopped thinking about esports on a local level. I focused on doing it on an international level. And it's it's now that I am looking back in Greece and seeing how I can help. But, you know, back on, back on those, at those days, the days of LinkedIn, I was just... You know, there was a lot of searching going on, listing, and I was searching for companies and sponsorship roles or business development roles or whoever else I wanted to add. And if I saw someone uh, posting up news that other people in my network liked, I connected with them and then I tried to get a, to get five, the, my five minutes with them. And it never, like, I, it didn't always work, but I think that I came out of it with a more... Um, 60 degree view of what was happening in esports because I was connected with so many people. However, now uh, LinkedIn has changed this algorithm, and there are a lot of um, a lot of people getting more more traction now because of their content and their following. And it it has broken. I think that uh, for me, it has broken down the quality of the and the and the range of the content that I was able to access, like I was back in the day. But I think that it's still a good thing for someone to to start if if they were in my position and they all had only you know done things on a regional level or national level and they want to go about it. You no, know, you have nothing to lose. 
the the only you know my motto in life is if you don't ask the answer is always no so i just ask that's that that is that's a great motto yeah i always tell people if you don't ask you don't get so uh which, which is the same thing hey i really appreciate your time here today don't want to take take forever but i do appreciate the time that you've given us here um i have a i have a you know a habit of digressing Oh no! Hey, that's it, that is what podcasts are for. I mean, we could talk for four hours. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 we wouldn't do that. But it's just like you know, if the, the timing is is all up. To, and the other thing I, I've learned with the podcast is it's my show. I can do whatever I want. I can have the, the guests that I want. I can, you know, it's like. Uh, but at the same time, it's also the responsibility that hey, you know, if it's if it doesn't work out, it's like well, there's only one person. That's responsible. So no, but I really like talking to you about LinkedIn. I like talking about investments and um, how things are going there in Greece. Where can people find you online? Let me guess. Um, <laughs> mostly on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still I still like to connect with people on LinkedIn because somehow it has become you know something very natural for me. I don't really know why, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm. No, I'm joking. I'm mostly reachable through through LinkedIn. And please, if anyone has any questions, any any any, they want any input and insight, if I can, and the rest of that. That was a bit of Greek actually, because it's 9 p.m. here, and my brain is is you know a total doubt. Uh, but uh, hey, what what my what one of my favorite stories was? We were in uh, we we're in Mykonos. This is a long time. It's probably before you were born, actually. So a long time back. And but we we're, we're walking about when it's and here's Wheel of Fortune on TV with Greek yeah. letters. And it's just like it was just like we just we just knew we were in a different world right there. Yeah. So uh, it was the same game but but different language. Yes. I could totally get but, uh yeah, uh, I'm reachable on LinkedIn. I I am on it most of the time. So anyone can just connect with me, ask me anything, I'll try my best to answer. Great. We'll put the, the the link there. So we invite everyone to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us on social media. That way you're going to be notified when we have the next episode coming out. We're going to have some really good guests here on, uh, as we move on, um, wrapping up season one here soon. Really good, really good guests, just like Demetrius that you don't want to miss. So thanks again for listening. Thanks, Demetrius. Thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives.